Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm so glad you're joining me today because we are beginning a brand new study. This is called Kingdom Come, a study through the Lord's Prayer. You know, someone has well said it takes less than 20 seconds to recite the Lord's Prayer, but it takes a lifetime to learn it. Well, friends, as we dive deep into this study, uh, phrase for phrase, sometimes, as we're going to do today, sometimes word for word, we're going to discover the richness, the significance of what Jesus meant when he taught his followers how to pray. Today, we're going to unpack this small phrase, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean? to hallow the name of God. How significant is it that Jesus tells us God is in heaven? What's the contrast between our heavenly Father and earthly fathers? I'll have a word to say for those who did not grow up with good fathers. There's a great deal we're going to learn today, many principles, so I hope you'll take your Bible or your device and go to Matthew chapter 6 with me. We're only going to be in verse 9 today, but I hope you enjoy the truths of God's Word on this episode of Awakened to Grace. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Today I begin a brand new series called Kingdom Come. It is a study of the Lord's Prayer. I'm very excited to share with you all that I'm learning concerning the Lord's Prayer. It is such a deep and a rich and a meaningful study. As you turn there, I don't want to forget... Let me say this, and then I'll, I'll be done, and, and we'll jump right into the text. Um, those of you who participated in Above and Beyond, I announced it last Sunday, but just for those who were unable to be here last Sunday, you know that on April, we announced on the first week of March that we will do a giving campaign on April 11. For Above and Beyond, that's all of the renovations that's going on next door. We anticipate, (laughs) we pray that all of these renovations will be done mid to late May. That's what we're anticipating right now. Uh, They came in and primered all the stuff uh, this weekend. And next they'll paint and then they'll put in carpet and then baseboards and then doors. And then we open. So that's where we are in the process. Our goal on April 11th was to raise $25,000. What a mountain of a goal. In the years of our church, we have never done a capital campaign. We've done projects. We've done missions. We've done special things, but never a capital campaign like this. So I didn't know how it would go. And as I said last Sunday, you have to understand when... We started the church. We couldn't even afford offering plates as a church plant. I worked the first eight years of our church with no salary. So you have to understand when God, when he blessed above and beyond, you just don't know what it meant to my heart. So on April 11, 
we asked the Lord to help us, and we, God put in our heart $25,000. We've never been a fundraising church in that sense. I don't want to have a thermometer up here for the next five years raising money. You know, so. so we just asked the Lord. You know, Hudson Taylor, that great missionary, once said of the 1800s, he said, you don't have to ask men for money. He said, if you can move God, God will move men. We've operated our church by that principle. Hudson Taylor also said, God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. I've believed that. I've lived that. And God's been very faithful to our church. And God's been very good to our church. But on April 11th, God was above and beyond. We asked the Lord for 25000 And on April the 11th, total with above and beyond, $44,400 came in. Amen. To God's glory. Now, what God put in my heart that I approached the finance team with, I believe in tithing through and through. And God put in my heart that we're to give 10%, a tithe of everything that came in. We are to give to the ministry of Oasis, a tithe. I believe in tithing so deeply. And um, God put that in my heart. Oasis is a ministry that serves poor uh, women and mothers. They're just a couple of doors down here on Sullivan Street. And they're getting ready to move to a, uh, another facility. And they're going to have renovation needs. And the Lord put in my heart that we are to give a 10% tithe. No matter what it was. And see, you have to understand, church. I, put, I determined in my heart I was going to rejoice and tithe no matter what came in. If 25000 came in or if $2,500 came in, I was going to rejoice in the Lord. And I can say that with a pure heart because I've learned to rejoice in the Lord with eyesight. And I've learned how to rejoice in the Lord blind as a bat. Money has nothing to do with it. And so I determined in my heart, no matter what, we were going to rejoice we're going to celebrate and we're going to tithe. So we were staggered that 44000 came in and we're going to tithe off of that. Now, we're not going to take it out of the designated money. We're going to take it out of our general budget. But we're going to give a 10% gift to the ministry of Oasis as a gift for what the Lord has done for us. Amen. All right. So... I just wanted to share that with you, knowing many couldn't be here last Sunday, and I wanted you to know where we stand. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. I want to introduce today part one of our study called Kingdom Come on the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> We're only going to be in one verse this morning, verse number 9. Jesus said, and when you pray, pray like this. And this is what he taught us. This is what's called the model prayer. And this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're going to stop there for today because there is a world of truth in this one line, in this one verse. 
Let's understand some things. First, what Jesus does before he teaches the model prayer is he first teaches us how not to pray in the verses above. And what I find very interesting is when it comes to the disciples, the men that spent three years living and traveling and serving with Jesus, when it comes to the disciples, you know, the Bible never records where the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to perform miracles. The disciples never said, how do we multiply fish and bread? They never said, Jesus, how do we calm the winds and the waves? The disciples never came and said, teach us how to craft and how to teach parables the way that you teach. But what did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them? They came to him and said, teach us how to pray. My question this morning that I want to ask you is, are we teachable when it comes to our prayer life? Are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Even for those who have walked with God for years and years, perhaps you've been a Christian for decades, or perhaps you're brand new to Christianity, or you're somewhere in between. My question is this, are you teachable? And what God wants to teach us, this house, this body, through the Lord's Prayer, over the next six weeks, I want it in the forefront of our mind. Are we willing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, teach me. Teach me how I ought to pray. Because that's the purpose of every line and every word and every verse of the Lord's Prayer. It is so deep, it is so rich, it's so packed, full of truth. There are going to be multiple things that we learn together through the course of this study. But I want you to know first, Jesus teaches us how not to pray. If you read the verses above, you can see where the Lord gives a few examples. And I think about my own prayer time. And I think how often I am, uh, if I'm not careful, I'll get a little off track in my praying. I will sometimes try to inform the Lord what he needs to know. I will sometimes try to instruct the Lord in what he ought to do. Anyone ever have that problem? God, if you'll just do this, God, if you'll just open that door, if you'll just provide that need, God, here's what I need. Aren't we so prone to do that? But rather than instructing God, rather than informing God, rather than trying to impress God, or worse, impress others by how we pray, no, you know what the Lord's Prayer really is? It is an invitation. It's an invitation to come to our Father and to present our needs before Him. It's an invitation to worship God the way God desires to be worshipped. So let's understand this a little better. After Jesus teaches us how not to pray, the wrong way to pray, he's now going to model for us, he's now going to teach us the right way to pray. Notice what he says first. We're going to break this little verse, only verse 9. We're going to break it into three sections. Number one, our Father, 
What a world of truth is in that. Number two, in heaven, which is amazing truth there. And then lastly, hallowed be your name. What's, what does that mean? We're going to try to explore and understand that today. Number one, our Father. I love this small. As a matter of fact, let's just focus for a moment on the word our. I love that word our. Because do you know what I think Jesus is reminding us? I think he's reminding us that you and I belong to the family of God. He is our Father. What an incredible thing. I want you to think about this. Those precious ones that got baptized today, how exciting is that? And let me tell you something. When it comes to God being our Father, when it comes to the way that God loves us, when it comes to the fatherhood of God, let me tell you, He doesn't love some more than He loves others. And you may be someone that you've been saved for decades. You may be someone that you've only been saved a matter of days. And guess what? The love of the Father is equal to everyone. God doesn't love some because they're more talented or because they have more to offer. God doesn't love some less because of their past or because of their history or because of their sins or failures. God loves us all the same, all equally. We are all part that are born again. We are part of the family of God. Ephesians chapter 3 teaches we are the family of God. And what a special thing. No one has God cornered. No one has a better position on God to where they're more loved by him. No, he is our father. And I think what Jesus is saying is no matter what color skin we are, no matter what language we speak, no matter what culture we've grown up in, No matter what age or generation we may be from, whether it's someone in the first or the 15th century, or it's someone today, or someone a thousand years from now, the people of God, he is our father. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 7, 9, what the Bible teaches there is that in reality, you and I are one out of an untold number. When that great throng is before the throne of God, all the people of God of all the centuries and all the ages, when we are all around the very throne of God, Revelation 7, 9, we are one of the many. Amen. He is our Father. The fatherhood of God. Now, let me me speak a word here because I understand that with everyone in the room today as well as many, many watching and listening online, I realize there are some of you that grew up with not so great of a father. I realize that there are some of you, you had phantom fathers, they were hardly around. Some of you had dads that had just unrealistic expectations. You would never meet them. Because they're unrealistic. I understand that many grew up in neglectful homes or abusive situations. And there are some precious believers who have a mental block and an emotional block that when 
you hear the word father, when you hear about the fatherhood of God, you immediately shut down. You immediately shut down because of the way your natural father is. But friends, Jesus teaches us this. He wants us to understand the fatherhood of God, that God is our heavenly father. He's not like our earthly fathers. He's not like our earthly fathers. He's our heavenly father. And as I teach this today, I want to say a special word to you that struggle because of the example that your father was to you. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit today to help you to see beyond that. Because what we're going to talk about today is the great contrast between our heavenly father and our earthly fathers. The fatherhood of God. Now, there's a dangerous doctrine going around today that is called the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of mankind. What's that mean? That means, well, because we are all God's creation, He is our Father. That means that because we are all God's creation, we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord. Friends, that's a false doctrine. That's a dangerous doctrine because it is contrary to what the Bible teaches. Just because we are God's natural creation doesn't mean He's spiritually our Father. Only a few can refer to God as Father. And do you know who those people are? Those are the ones who have been born again. How do we know this? Because Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, He says... You are of your father, the devil. The Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians that before Christ, without Christ, we are children of wrath. We are children of disobedience. Second Timothy teaches we are ensnared by Satan to do his will. We are slaves to sin and to Satan. But see what happens when you become born again. What happens when you trust in Jesus for salvation? You repent of your sins. Then you come into the family of God. And then the Bible says, Jesus said in John 1, 12, To as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. The right, the power, the right, the legality To become sons and daughters of God. What a remarkable thing. Galatians 3, 26 teaches that through Jesus, we are the sons of God through faith. What a remarkable thing. See, when Jesus, on this day that Jesus taught this, his Jewish audience, let me tell you, would have been totally foreign to refer to God as Father. Would have been completely foreign. They knew God as Yahweh. Jehovah. You know the Jews in the Old Testament would not even write. They would not even hand write the name Yahweh. In fear that they would spell it wrong or do it wrong. The ancient gods of this time. Those Roman gods. All that Greek mythology. You know the gods were seen as distant and to be feared. But yet here's the true son of God inviting us to come near. And to call God father. 
You know, Jesus, you may find this interesting as I do. Jesus referred to God as Father 167 times in the Scriptures. 167 references to God as Father. And again, where gods, all these fake gods were distant, the true and living God is near. Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that remarkable? I had the opportunity Friday to preach yet again to the precious people of Pakistan. I do a crusade through Skype every month to villages in Pakistan. And I was able to tell those precious people that are in the throes of Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and all kinds of witchcraft and pagan gods. And I was able to tell them the thing that differentiates Christianity, what sets Christianity so far apart is that in all religions of the world, it is man seeking after God. But in Christianity, it's God coming after man. What a difference. He is our father to those who are born again. The fatherhood of God. What a remarkable thing. Is he your father today? Are you born again? Is he near to you? Are you near to him? Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Because you've put your faith in the work of Jesus. Now, next, what he said. Notice what he says next. We understand our means that we are part of the family of God. It's not just you and nobody else. We're a kingdom. We're a family. What a special thing. We understand the fatherhood of God. It's not a universal fatherhood. It is a born again. It is a kingdom of God. It is a spiritual family that you and I are part of. And because of that, it is an invitation to draw near to the Father. Romans 8.15, Paul calls him Abba. What's that? That's Aramaic for Papa, Daddy. Boy, I love it when my children... I love it when my little ones call me daddy. What a, what a special, what a tender thing. Except for when they're whining. I don't love it. Then I say, go to your mother. <laughs> Papa. Daddy. Abba. What an invitation. Notice what he says next. Which art in heaven. Now, why does Jesus, is, is just this filling in space? <laughs> is this just telling us something we already know? No, I don't think so. I think Jesus is quite intentional with reminding us that he is a heavenly father. What do we say? Those of you who have poor examples as father, contrast, we're talking about a heavenly father. We're talking about God who is not a man. God doesn't lie. Why? Because God's not a man. You know, I was thinking the other day, I was sharing this with, with prayer meeting night. Uh, Monday night, our West of 40s ladies got together at O'Charlie's. 
and gave me an invitation to come and eat dinner with those room and everybody's real loud. And you know, one of the interesting things about being blind is you know how they stare with spidey senses. You would not believe how I can hear. I can hear everything, everything. I'll hear something and Sadie will say, how in the world did you hear that? It's crazy. I hear everything. And when I'm in a large room with a lot of people, I could hear multiple conversations happening at once. Sometimes it's really hard to keep my concentration if someone's talking to me because I hear five, six, seven conversations all around me. But see, what's interesting, in a room like we were in O'Charlie's, I'm hearing all this chatter and I'm hearing all these conversations, but I can't distinguish it. Because see, I'm just a man. But see, today, God is not a man. And he hears every prayer you pray. Right now, today, there are no doubt millions upon millions upon millions of prayers being lifted to the Lord. And he hears and he distinguishes every single one of them. Why? How? Because God's not a man. He is our heavenly Father. Do you view him that way? I think Jesus reminds us that he's our heavenly father. I think he reminds us that God is in heaven. Why? Because where where should our eyes truly be? As you see the day drawing nigh, Jesus says, the book of Hebrews says, what does it say to do? Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Let me just say this with crystal Clarity today. Some of us have our eyes in places they don't belong. Can I step on our toes a little bit today? Some of us need to get our eyes off of the news and off of the media. Oh, you don't have to amen me. I'll keep going. Some of us need our eyes off of politics. Hallelujah. Preach it, Chad. I'll encourage myself. I'm fine. I'm as comfortable as I can be right now. Some of us need our eyes off of Washington, D.C. Some of us need our eyes off the Democrats and off the Republicans and off of all of this mess. And we need to lose the distractions. And we need our eyes on our Heavenly Father. Are you distracted today? Is your prayer life distracted today because you're looking at chaos? Because you're fearful? Because you're worried about your job? You're worried about money? You're worried about your retirement? You're worried about the stock market? Your 401k? You're worried about your kids going to college? You're worried about... See, Jesus said, take no thought of these things for your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. We need our eyes on our heavenly Father. And let me tell you, precious friends, if you're looking down here, if you're looking horizontally, there's nothing but discouragement. There's nothing but depression. But if you would look vertically, there would be encouragement. There would be strength. 
there would be purpose. Amen. Our eyes belong upward. Our attention belongs upward. Set your affections on things above where Christ is seated. Colossians chapter 3, 1 and 2. Amen, Chad. Amen. Well, let's move on. I'll encourage myself. (laughs) He says in heaven. Why in heaven? Because he wants to remind us of the sovereignty, of the grandeur, of the greatness, of the majesty of God Almighty. Get your eyes upward. Amen. Then he says, now this is, oh, this is wonderful. Then he says, hallowed be your name. Now, what does this mean? Hallowed be your name. Hmm. Now, let's understand where we're coming from. We've learned how not to pray. You can't impress God. You shouldn't instruct God. You definitely don't need to inform God. You should invite God into your life. You should invite God into your needs. And so he says, pray this way. Our, we're a family. Life is not all about you. (laughs) It's about the family of God. It's about the kingdom of God. Our, father, the fatherhood of God. The fact that if you're born again, you can call on him. As Father. And then in heaven, the greatness, the grandeur of God, putting our eyes upward. Now, what I believe Jesus is going to do, He's going to teach us how to not get ahead of ourselves in prayer. You know, I think most of us, myself mostly included here, I know for me, my tendency is to jump right into my needs. My tendency is to jump right into what I need the Lord to do and what I want from God. I think we're all, we all have that tendency, don't we? You know, really, the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to divide it into two halves throughout this series. The first half, and you need to understand this, is God's prayer list. Isn't that an interesting concept? And then the last half is our prayer list. See, the Lord knows what we have need of. We have need of daily bread, provisions. We have need of forgiveness. We have a need of being not led into temptation but delivered from evil. We have these needs. But do you realize that God has desires as well? Do you realize that before we get to what we need, we need to focus on what God desires to reverence his name? That his kingdom would come. That his will would be done. See, the Lord's prayer is really two halves. The first half focuses on God. That's the priority. And then the last half focuses on us and our needs. But we often get the order reversed, don't we? You know, I think about that with my own kids. My kids at the moment are 10 and 8, 4 and 2. And boy, they got a lot of needs. Oh, my Lord. Well, let's say they have a lot of wants. A lot of wants. But so often, they come to me and their mom with everything that they want, everything that they need. You know, that's okay right now because they're so young. But what about as they grow up into adulthood? 
I, I, I don't want our relationship to be only what they need from me. I want them to enjoy me. I want them to know me. See what I'm saying? I think sometimes, some of us, we only come to God like my four-year-old when we want something, right? So, so often we, we, we get our needs ahead of our worship that's due to the Lord. And this verse is going to help us. Speaking of my four-year-old, I, just, I felt my ring and it made me think yesterday uh, I was playing with him. And he would take my wedding ring off and on. And he asked me what it was. And I said, well, this is my wedding ring. I said, this, is what, this is, means I'm married. And he didn't understand that. He's four. And I said, I said, you know, I'm married to your mama. Boy, he gets jealous over that. And I said, I said Hudson, I said, are you going to marry a, a pretty girl one day? He goes, yep. And I said, who's the prettiest girl you know? Which I figured he would say is mama because he's a real Bobby Boucher. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I told Sadie the other day, I said, he's going to drive a lawnmower through our subdivision when he gets older. I can, I can just see it coming. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, are you going to marry a pretty little girl one day? He went, yep. And I said, who's the prettiest girl you know? And he said, Aubrey. Aubrey. Aubrey's five years older than him. And he said, Dad, I need this ring. <laughs> oh, Lord. Jesus, take the will, right? We get our needs. We get our needs ahead of our of our worship. And listen, if you're taking notes today, I want you to note this. Hallowed be your name. What is this? This is an invitation. Okay? I want you to get this. It's an invitation to pause and worship. Before you ask God of anything, before you bring any care, any need, any concern, any want, it is an invitation to pause and worship. Now, what does hallowed mean? A good, a good way to say it is reverence, but, but let's go a little deeper. In the Greek language, it is an imperative passive, which means this is a continuous thing. In other words, this is what it means. It, it does not just mean that God is holy, that's the fact, but when we hallow the name of God, what that means is that we, mankind, we regard his name as holy. We continuously view God as holy. It is the way we view, it's our perception of God's name. It means we pause and we worship God for who he is. Do you see the difference there? See, the problem that we have is often when we pray, we pray with our own agenda. But do you realize God has an agenda? That his name be great in the earth? That his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do we ever consider God's agenda? 
And so where God is taking me in my study of this is God is telling me, Chad, so many of your prayers, in reality, they're self-centered. I want your prayers to be God-centered. And how do you know the difference between the two? Well, let me ask it this way. Do you view prayer as something where you get what you want? Or do you view prayer as in God gets what God wants? There's the distinguishing factor of if you are self-centered or God-centered. And I would dare say we all have a long way to grow in that regard. Would you amen to that? So, when I consider where I am right now in this stage of blindness, I have to view the way that I pray. Is it what I want? Or am I praying in a way that God wants? Let me, let me tell you something the Lord spoke to me the other day about, about being blind. I believe so deeply with all that's in me, God can restore my sight like that. God can just speak the word and these old eyes will come right open. The scales would fall and eyesight would be there. But you want the Lord told me the other day? The Lord said, the stage you're in, where you're at, Chad, It's not really about you. This is for other people. The other day, we're driving to the church as a family. And my 10-year-old, Piper, she said, Daddy, if you had your choice, would you choose to see again and be able to drive a car? Or would you stay blind? So what my 10-year-old asked me. I said, well... I said, I would love to see again. I would love that. And I knew right then the Holy Spirit was setting this up. What a, uh, the Lord is going to give me a moment here, a, a teaching moment. I was waiting for that Danny Tanner full house music to come on, but it never came on. So, but that would have been perfect. It would have been really nice. But I told Piper, I said, I said, here's the thing, Piper. I said... This is not really a matter for me to decide. This is really up to the Lord. Because I said, listen to me. I've learned the secret of contentment. I said, Piper, I was very happy when I had eyesight. And I'm very happy without eyesight. Either way, I'm happy in the Lord. What is the purpose of prayer? Is it to get what we want? Or is it to get done what God wants? Hmm. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed. Pause. Worship God. Hallowed be your name. I close with this today. You know, I think, I think it's good to seek God's hand. And what does that mean? We seek God's hand in saying, what can God do for us as our father? Because children need their father to do for them. That's not wrong. But let me tell you where we get off kilter. 
is when we only seek God's hand. When we hallow the name of the Father, we're seeking God's face. And you know what the difference is between seeking God's hand and his face? His hand is what God can do for us, but his face is enjoying who God is, his character, his attributes, his personhood. So when it comes to your prayer life, is it what you need and what you want? Or... Are you learning to enjoy God? What a difference. And the first part of the Lord's Prayer is to teach us, slow down, be still. Don't worry about your daily bread. Don't worry about the things you can't control. Don't worry about the timing of this and the timing of that. Be still and know that He is God. So where's your prayer life? Father, teach us to pray. I thank you, God, for the eyesight that is coming in Jesus' name. As Romans 4 teaches, I speak those things that are not as though they were in Jesus' name. But God, that's not the defining thing of my life. Where my joy is, where my peace is, where my contentment is, is not in what your hand can do. It's in the fact you're my Father. Hallowed be your name. Your name is great with eyesight and your name is great without it. Your grace is sufficient with it. Your grace is sufficient without it. Hallowed be thy name. Hallelujah. So Lord, today, we your children. (laughs) What a special thing that is. We your children. We take all of our needs today. And God, I can't imagine the number of needs represented in this house today. I can't imagine the number of needs that are in this room. But God, we set them to the side. And we seek your face today. We marvel, God, at your greatness. We marvel at your grace. We marvel, God, at your care and your compassion. Great is your faithfulness. It is renewed every morning. You're great, God. 
you're great. And Lord, I pray especially today for those who had fathers who let them down, fathers who constantly broke promises, fathers that broke trust, fathers that wounded and scarred. I pray especially for them today that you would give them the ability to look past their earthly father and lift their eyes up to see their heavenly father and to really see and to really understand, to really know and embrace and recognize and even worship the fact that you are not a man not a man that you would ever let them down. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Change the way that we pray. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed thy name in the precious name of Jesus we pray